morning and shalom, salam alaikum everywhere, anywhere you are in the world. We are here, probably not live. If you see us, we are live. <laughs> we are here from Orlando and Alabama, where David is at this morning. And we have, I personally do have the distinct pleasure to host this episode because I do admire the man that we have. I do admire the knowledge he carries, the passion for what he believes in, and um, the humane side of what he does. He's all about love, passion, diversity, inclusion, and um, being authentic, being real, being loving, and being compassionate. I am not going to take the highlight away from him. I will let him introduce himself. Please, Imam Sykes, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I guess I'll begin by saying that I became a Muslim in June of 1987, so I'm 35 years old now. Um, I'm a baby. I'm still a youth in Islam. And so um, I began my early years, uh, at nine years of age, I was preaching in African-American churches in North Carolina. That was the year that Martin Luther King was assassinated. Um, so I have been for years on the forefront of celebrating diversity, uh, embracing diversity, and uh, made me think a lot about the question that you sent me about non-Muslims versus Muslims versus cultural Muslims, and hopefully we'll get into that today. Um, I was for 18 years a chaplain um, in the correctional environment, 11 years for the North Carolina Department of Corrections, and eight years for the Federal Bureau of Prisons. I was also a diversity trainer for the Department of Justice. And I think that's really enough about me. I don't really like to talk about me. I'd much rather talk about Allah and Ramadan and maybe David and maybe you than to talk about me. <laughs> but hopefully that's enough. <laughs> well, obviously we brought you here for a reason, and you know the reason. Uh, we will be celebrating or starting to observe the month of Ramadan in few days, either Monday or uh, Tuesday. 1.7 billion people in the world observe this holiday, if we want to call it holiday, but for a lot of Muslims is a state of worship throughout 30 days. Here in America, they're not a, there's not much said about Ramadan. People can hear about it, but they don't know what it is, especially in the workplace where employers do not even know that they have Muslim worshipers. They do observe and they expect the same, same level of performance as someone that is eating and drinking all day. So I will let you start with telling us or telling our viewers our listeners, what is Ramadan and what is the significance of Ramadan for Muslims? Great. Well, I always believe that we should start with the scripture um, to look at what something is. In Islam, when we ask a question, we always defer to Allah and his messenger. Uh, and yet it's so much more. So I'm just going to quickly say that the mission statement and the Quranic definition of what Ramadan is, is found in Surah Al-Baqarah, the second chapter of the Holy Quran, verses 183 and 185. 
So the first uh, mission statement is that we are to obtain consciousness of God. Um, we are then told in the Hadith that it is the month of abstinence, not the month of indulgence. So that tells us some interdimensional meaning of this great holy month that's coming to us. Um, we are told in Surah 185 that it is the month uh, in which the Quran was revealed. So it was brought to the lower heavens and then piecemeal delivered by the angel Jabril over a period of 23 years. What we are celebrating is that a standard came by which we could discern, discern truth from falsehood. Uh, God tells us in that verse that we should extol God and that we should render thanks to God. So it's a month of gratitude. It's a month of thankfulness. But I believe that what people would rather hear, perhaps, is my personal interdimensional experience with Islam. Um, so in that vein, I would say that it's about worship and surrender. So it's a boot camp focused on spiritual food instead of physical food. It's focused on feeding the internal heart that is connected to God instead of the worldly soul or, or not soul, but physical being that we live in. Um, it is an experience that if practiced with the right conditions, uh, will stimulate the deepest part of your soul, I believe. The, the lub, the kernel of the heart, will be penetrated if Ramadan is observed with the right conditions. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent among the people, the Arabs, an unlettered prophet uh, to rehearse to them signs, miracles, ayats, uh, ways to, to move and to navigate in this world, to cleanse and purify them and to impart upon them the knowledge of the book and wisdom. So it's a month that is just packed. 11 years, 11 months out of the year, we focus on what we want. Pretty much my desires, what I want. Um, and our worldly desires are often <laughs> not in the path of Allah. Uh, it's not the way we gain taqwa or God consciousness, but it's more like the path of our ego, <laughs> our lower self. So. During the blessed month of Ramadan, at least the way I experience it, is that we are given the freedom from the self. Um, not freedom of the self, but freedom from the self. And this actually creates a boot camp opportunity for us to grow. So really, if you practice Ramadan with the right conditions, you will come out at the end of it a changed person. If you simply just observe the rituals, but you do not literally focus on the inner dimension of the heart, you'll just come out hungry and thirsty. And God doesn't really need that. And he told us that. Um, what I see in the month of uh, Ramadan, if you look at the Ahadith, it actually begins 60 days before Ramadan in the sacred month of Rajab. And so we till the soil of our soul in Rajab. Um, the rain comes in the month of Sha'aban, where many of us fast uh, quite a bit because the prophet fasted more in Sha'aban than any other month. And then the harvest comes in Ramadan. So I see it as a, a really a 90-day process instead of just a 30-day process. And really the purpose of life is to develop a tendency to focus on the divine. And when you are fasting for the sake of Allah, then you are consistently, if you're in the spirit of that fasting, thinking about the divine. Um, so indulging the self and serving the freedom of the self or what we call free will without proper restraints actually causes us to disengage from exalted knowledge or divine knowledge. 
Uh, it causes us to focus more about what external stimuluses are telling us. So the television tells us to do this. And if you don't use this toothpaste, you're not going to be sexy. If you don't use this makeup, you're not going to be pretty. It's all fear motivated. But for a month, we're actually focusing on how can I connect to a loss. So really and truly, it takes us into another dimension. Uh, and it reminds us that there are joys, pleasures, and happiness in a source that's not physical or materialistic. I know you have other questions and I can always come back to this. Um, but as you can see in my heart, uh, Ramadan is my best friend and it makes me a better person because of the focus. So I'm always very sad when Ramadan is over because I feel like a very influential friend has come to visit me and has left. Uh, yes. So I always fast six days in the month of Sha'awal. Uh, which is the month after Ramadan, because I don't want to lose that spirit. I, I'm very sad, and I think you can hear I'm getting emotional. Yeah. I'm very sad when Ramadan leaves me, oh, uh, because gosh. it is such, um, such a dear friend to me. I, I live for 11 months for that month to come, and I start preparing two months in advance, and I keep trying to hold on to it in the month of Shawal. So, a lion is mercy or her mercy. I don't like to refer to Allah as a he or she because that limits Allah and Allah is not limited in any way. So Allah's, in Allah's mercy gave us prayer and fasting to break us from self-addictions, to break us from those things that we think we absolutely have to have that we don't have. So yeah. um, hopefully that answered your question. And certainly if you want me to, I can expand. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a, a watery eyes, Imam Syke. <laughs> so I, okay, let, let me uh, hold my emotions here. Uh, and I uh, know exactly what you're saying. And throughout your uh, discourse here, you mentioned several times Allah. And for a lot of people, and then obviously you talked about Shaban, um, Shawal, uh, a lot of people are not familiar with obviously the 12 months, Hijra months, if you can just explain that to them. And also a lot of people from my interactions with others, they think that Allah, it's some, some figure or, or something. Oh, who are you worshiping Allah? Who, who is that guy? A lot of people are not so much in understanding with the meaning of Allah. I'll let you explain that, that way the viewer and the listener understand when people are saying Allah, what are they referring to? Yes, very good, thank you, awesome question. And thank you for helping me to clarify. Uh, I, behind me, you see about two and a half thousand books. In those books are a Bible written in Arabic. And in that Bible, God is referred to as Allah. And it is, was given to me by an Arab Christian. Um, so Allah is just the Arabic name for God. God is God. There's one creator. Um, and we as Jews, Christians, and Muslims and the monotheistic faiths recognize that there's only one God. We just simply call God Allah in Arabic. So I thank you so much for clarifying that. David, I know you uh, must have questions. Go ahead, because... I am enjoying it so far. One of the things that I think a lot of non-spiritual, non-religious people, especially uh, non-Muslims, non-Judeo-Christians, uh, 
don't understand is that uh, live in a cycle and that cycle is cyclic, uh, circular uh, versus linear, which is the way most Europeans look at life. I'm, I'm born, I have a bunch of events in my life and then I die versus in Islam where there is this cycle of the seasons and the months. And if this year I don't gain everything that I need from Ramadan, it's going to come around again, and God willing, Allah willing, he'll give, he, she will give me another opportunity to become deeper, to become stronger. And I think that that mentality, uh, once it's understood, gives us a sense of uh, solemnity, uh, an appreciation for others that says... As you grow and as you blossom as the individual that Allah created you to be, each time it comes around, I should be encouraged that you are seeking to be a better person, a deeper, a more spiritual, a more responsive, a more obedient person. And that should really overshadow how we, um, I'm not Muslim, uh, but how we support others who adhere to that faith so that I'm excited that you have the chance to celebrate. I'm excited that you have the chance to deepen your faith and strengthen your character and be liberated from all of those things which can really become obstacles in your relationship with Allah. They are distractions. They are uh, perversions. They are... Um, literal walls that sometimes can during this particular season Allah intended for you to be able to be liberated to become a deeper person that Allah created you to be and so I just wanted to say that a lot of times non-religious uh, non-Muslim non-Jewish or non-Christian believers don't understand this cycle of these uh, we'll call them sacred seasons, keep coming around again. And I shouldn't feel bad if this year I didn't attain everything I wanted to attain, but I should look forward, Allah willing, to the next time Ramadan comes around. And if I may speak to that, um, David, uh, it's one of the reasons I never like to pick on the Ramadan Muslims. Uh, we hear a lot of people talk about you know, Christmas and Easter Christians. Um, I don't know what the same thing is in the Jewish faith. I'm guessing the Passover Jews, they can celebrate Passover maybe, but they don't go to the synagogue. I'm sure there's something in there that I don't know about. But what I'd like to say is that um, identity um, in the study of the soul refers to the capacity for self-reflection and awareness of the self. And so whether you are a so-called practicing Muslim or a non-practicing Muslim, this occurs. So what's very interesting is that in countries highly populated by Muslims or so-called Muslim countries, I don't like to use that word loosely, um, what we will find something that is very rare, something we do not see in the West is that people who are alcoholics will stop drinking just like that for 30 days. It's not heard of in the world that studies addiction. 
But in these countries, these people will literally stop drinking cold turkey for 29 to 30 days. And, and also, I think it's important for me to speak to identity in this, in this as well. It, it encompasses memories, experiences, relationships, and values that create our sense of self. And so if I'm Moroccan and I go to the masjid that's highly attended by Moroccans in the month of Ramadan, I have this sense of beautiful collective community and unity. And some people criticize that and I take great offense to that. It actually hurts my heart because instead of encouraging those folks, they beat them up. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, oh, well, we got, look how many people we have but next week. We won't have. I, I'm very against this kind of thinking because uh, culture provides important social benefits. And particularly, I would say in the time of COVID, when we have been in some cases, perhaps I can say desocialized uh, with social distancing. Um, Allah said in the Quran that he created in different nations and tribes, created us in different nations and tribes, not that we would despise one another, but that we would identify with one another. So I'm reminded of how there was an Ethiopian um, group of converts and they began to dance with their drums and their spears in Masjid al-Nabawi, in the Prophet's Masjid. And they were celebrating the annual Islamic festival. And Umar radiallahu one of the companions of the Prophet attempted to stop them. And the Prophet intervened and urged them to continue. And so what we see in this that I think is so vitally important is that the, the Prophet said to them, play your games, sons of Ethiopia, so that the Jews and Christians know that there is flexibility, fusah, in our religion. And, and I think it's so vitally important for us to remember this. Oftentimes, people will say how they um, celebrate diversity, but then when we actually put them to the test, they actually beat up with microaggressions. <laughs> they beat up the people who perhaps do not practice at their same level. Um, and, and, you know, by this and similar acts, the prophet really did set the precedent of celebrating and affirming, not just accepting, but affirming cultural differences. And he made it clear that for the non-Arabs that were entering Islam as converts or reverts, that it does not require them to detach from their own cultural identity. And I can share from my own personal experience that when I first became a Muslim, I did that. I started dressing like the predominant group in whatever masjid I attended. I had an Arab wardrobe. I had an Indo-Pak wardrobe. I had a Moroccan wardrobe from different countries. People gave me their sort of traditional dress and I actually lost my identity. So what I tell converts today is you do not embrace Arabism or Moroccanism or Philistineism. You embrace Islam. And, and one of the greatest things that ever happened to me is that I was uh, doing my master's in Islamic studies and I landed in Dulles, Washington Dulles Airport on 9-11, four minutes after the so-called plane hit the Pentagon. I was detained for nine days, investigated by the OIG and the FBI because of the day I landed in D.C. But what really 
is a value to me of that is that my great Sheikh, Sheikh Taha Jabbar Alawani, who may Allah bless his soul, passed away just a little over a year ago. He looked at me in front of all of my classmates and said, don't you come back to school wearing a jalabiya and trim that beard. I used to have a beard down to my rib cage. And he said, embrace who you are as an American and your efficacy as a da'i, as one who invites people to Islam will increase. And he really, really gave me a great gift when he told me that it humbled my humility. Um, it really, really shook me that he did it in front of everybody. Um, but it was the greatest gift he could have given me because I was able then to begin to embrace who I actually organically and authentically am. And then to be the best in that that I could be as a Muslim. So um, Abu Yusuf, I'm reminded, who was a principal student of Imam Abu Hanifa, which is a major scholar in Islam, regarded Islam's openness toward culture as the prophet sunnah, as a tradition and as a way of life for the prophet. So um, I just want to speak to what is for a minute. Let's just be real honest here in this podcast. Yeah. According to Kara, 30% of Muslims 50 or older um, and 15% under 25 years of age um, drink alcohol. Now we know that it is haram, it is prohibited to drink alcohol in Islam. But these Muslims who are doing this will practice the month of Ramadan. And for 29 or 30 days, they will at least not be having drinks during lunch um, and, and their focus will change. And again, um, this is what Ramadan is all about. We embrace the, the, the prophets, Mashid, Mashid and Nabawi was the hospital for the brokenhearted. Um, and that's what our masajid should be today. We should be having outstretched arms to all people, wherever they are in life, wherever they are in their faith journey. We should be saying, I don't care where you are in your faith journey. We're here to love, empower, and encourage you, not discourage you. You are Maybe for 11 months you didn't do it, but for this month you are practicing a pillar of Islam. So let me support you in that. Let me encourage you in that. Don't let me beat you up. Um, and it may remind them you don't have to be a slave to your appetites. You can be a slave of God and you can devote this month and perhaps it will affect you positively in the other 11 months. So... Mm -hmm. um, perhaps it makes them rethink their relationship with Allah or with God. And I'll try to use God and just not to create a barrier uh, in the future. Um, but humility is gained when we deny our personal appetites and when we surrender them to Allah and we look to Allah's appetites and we fulfill them. Uh, there is such an interdimensional peace that comes. And I always think about Ramadan the source of peace is Al-Salam, uh, which is one of the names of God. And I cannot have peace unless I know the source of peace. So in the month of Ramadan, the gates of heaven are thrown wide open for me. The source of peace is saying, come to me, my servants, come to me. And so it's really 
interdimensionally such a place that we should promote that kind of spirit that the gates of hell are locked and closed and the shaitan are chained and Allah is saying my doors are wide open for you my blessings for whatever you do this month are seven to seven hundred fold or more mm -hmm. and that is the spirit that we should be inviting people to uh inshallah and uh, inshallah i will um i know whatever you're sharing with us is just so profound that I'm um, thinking that uh, Mona's camera has frozen just a little bit. I'm not sure. Okay. One of the things that comes to mind as you were speaking is that really Ramadan is a season, a period of time, whereby we can say there's a better way. And if I pursue my desire to find this better way, that Allah will bless my efforts. He knows my heart. And during this season, the things that I discover will be in some ways different than what I discovered the last time I observed Ramadan. So whether a person only observes Ramadan or whether there is what I like to call an overflow of the abundance of all the things that we discover during that period of a better way, that inspires me to not be content with what I gained from being more devoted, more passionate, more disciplined during that one season of time. But I want to see how that impacts me the rest of the time. And I think the only way that we can ever become empathetic individuals in a, a world of diversity is that we have an appreciation for every individual's journey to find a better way, to be the better them, to be the best that they can be. And one of the things that I really love about Mona is that that permeates everything she says. How can we love people? How can we teach people to love themselves liberally and let that overflow in all of their relationships so that it's not expecting you to look and talk and act like me? but it allows me to celebrate that you are discovering your identity. You are discovering your history. You are discovering your place in this very, very beautiful world made up of different people. So I hear that as you're speaking and that touches my soul um, because that is a very noble thing to realize. You know, as we get older, we realize, hey, we have more to change today than we realize that we have when we were younger. And part of the reason is we devote ourselves to those seasons of introspection, not to belittle ourselves, but to be able to say, Allah, how can I be the individual that you created me to be? How can I seize the opportunities that you created me for? How can I fulfill the purpose for which you made me? Yes, absolutely. We, I mean, I'm loving what I'm hearing here, and I appreciate both um, 
both of you for what you're sharing with us. We are going to switch this to business, okay? Because obviously a lot of, um, a lot of people that may <clears throat> have Muslim employees or, or actually Muslim employers who have non-Muslim, we want to share with them things that probably they may not have thought of before. And I, I can share here, candidly, can share my experience. And there was, uh, this was one of the reasons why I decided to become self-employed and free myself up from the corporate world and all the chains that comes with it. And it brings me back to 30 years, just 20 years. I mean, I was, I was fasting observed like um, everyone else, because Ramadan obviously is dear to me. And just like you said, there's one month that we try our best to get closer to the creator and really focus and leave out the worldly, um, what do we call them, shahawat, temptations, and come to realizations that we are here because of God. And I was not allowed to have my meal on time. I'm here, here I am fasting all day. And I was in an environment where I had to produce. I was in sales. I had to be talking to customers. I'm running out of my breath. I cannot drink. I cannot eat. The rest is having snacks, drinking water or soda, whatever it is. But here I was, the only one. And what a feeling that was that I am observing internally, not so much showing it externally. I had to perform at the same pace as everybody, probably more than everybody else. Time for meal where we have to sit and thank God I didn't even have that chance. I would go a half hour later, sometimes an hour later before I had a sip of water, before I could eat. Um, it is excruciating. It is a feeling that uh, I wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't want to wish on anybody because a lot of people are allowed to observe the way they want, but a Muslim, in America or anywhere in the West where obviously um, Muslims are a minority perhaps are not allowed that uh, opportunity. And even with, with religious holidays. So today we wanna to talk to employers. Yes, we yes. wanna to talk to employers. We wanna to talk to team members. We wanna to talk to colleagues. We wanna to talk to neighbors. Okay. What is it that they need to know? And how can they make it easier on their uh, Muslim counterpart? Perhaps, perhaps I, perhaps it's my fault. I, I never said I was fasting because I was afraid. You're always under that um, feeling of, I don't know what to call it, but you really are, uh, you feel threatened Every well, I, I, if I might, I think, yeah. I think what I hear you saying, Mona, is we're always at the call of industrialized slavery yeah. or the industrialized revolution. 
and we feel that we are slaves to the people that give us a paycheck, and therefore we are inhibited. And so to speak to that, I remember in the late uh, 1980s when I became involved in prison ministry, there was a government policy that came out known as RIFRA. And it was, it was an effort, a bill, to make sure that inmates received the least restrictive religious practices. And I took that bill and I fought for the incarcerated to be able to have halal meals and to be able to fast in Ramadan and to be able to not have to work. And then I got out when I got in 2008, I think it was, or when I retired from the prison system, I realized, wow, I, the, the inmates actually at that point uh, had more privileges than the people in the free world when it comes to the, the freedom to practice Ramadan uh, and other holidays. So I, by the way, I had the most diverse chapel uh, when I was, people didn't like to work for me because I had 27 faith groups. If you had a national faith group, you were going to have a worship service and a study group if you wanted it. Let's talk though specifically about Ramadan and how we can help those people who want to be kind to those who are fasting and those people who are fasting who can help get the rights that they really need. And, and there's sort of two points of view on one thing, and I'll just sort of get that out of the way first and foremost. Um, I personally encourage workplaces to actually send out a memo that on the, and for in this case, it would be on Monday, April the 12th, we are expecting the new moon of Ramadan to arrive. And this means that Muslim colleagues will be fasting from dawn. Give a little bit of education if they will do that. This is really embracing cultural uh, differences uh, and educating people. Uh, and then to some, some Muslims will say that they're very offended if people eat in front of them. Others will say it doesn't bother them. Now, I remember like you, I went in the corporate world after I left Christian ministry for a while before I ended up somehow by the grace of God becoming an imam. I never asked for that. Um, but I remember sitting at this very uh, expensive restaurant on Sunset Boulevard because I was running the second largest property management company in LA at the time and having this terrible dry mouth and my lips would stick to the top of, <laughs> to the top of my, my teeth. And I would say, it's fine. I don't mind if you eat, you know, I'm fasting. It doesn't bother me at all. I was one of those people who didn't bother. But, you know, let's face it, the halitosis, uh, when you are fasting for 15 or 16 hours, your breath kicks. I'm going to just speak street language here. Um, and you say so you find Muslims like, well, yes, you know, yes, I did fulfill that mandate. And it's on your desk, just as I promised. Uh, and so one of the things that I would first and foremost say is don't make fun of people. Don't talk about people behind their backs about their bad breath. <laughs> don't come along and tell them they need to brush their teeth or something. Well, but but being aware. So the first thing I would say is that there are two points of view on that. Um, for many, it will stay, they feel awkward if you're eating. So I always say to employers, try not to schedule luncheons and expect for Muslims to go to luncheons during the month of Ramadan. Perhaps try to schedule the meetings in the morning or try to schedule the meetings in the afternoon, uh, but don't try to, don't force your employees to sit at a luncheon. Um, and also, if you can do presentations, um, people that are in sales or trainers, 
Um, I know I have to talk a lot. And I can tell you when I give a chutbah, which is the Friday sermon, and I'm fasting, those lips are sticking to the gums and, and I look all distorted. And I, even when I play it back sometimes, I say, well, I hope people don't think I was involved in some kind of drugs here because it, it, you even sound like you're slurring your speech. I like to keep it real. You know what I mean? So yeah. this, is, this is one of the first thing that I would say that don't make jokes about your colleague not having coffee. Oh, so you're not hitting the coffee this month. Oh, you're drying out, you know? People make these jokes and they are microaggressions. They're insensitive. Um, so, but it is okay to ask questions. And what I would encourage colleagues, uh, what I would encourage employers is to ask questions. As a matter of fact, what I encourage is to give um, if you want to let somebody talk, instead of making a sales presentation, let them make a presentation about what Ramadan is to them and, and what they're actually doing and how, make it personal, how you can actually support me in this month of fasting. Uh, one of the things that I encourage uh, workers to do is if they will to let um, Muslim employees take their lunch hour at the end of the day so they get to leave an hour earlier and not take lunch. Um, and these things are doable. Uh, sometimes the Muslims are afraid to ask. And speaking of that, the First Amendment right, um, there, you are entitled as an American to practice your religion in the workplace. Um, when I first became a Muslim, I had a temporary job. It was full-time, but I had a temporary job with Jenny Craig Weight Loss Centers as their trainer, their lifestyle trainer. And so, um, I resigned and then I was doing something else and they came back to me and said, we'd like you to come back to work for us. And I said, well, I'm a Muslim now and the only way I'd come back to work for you is if you gave me a place to pray. And then in the month of Ramadan, I confess and you're not gonna bother me about it. I'm gonna pray five times a day. It's gonna take me about 15 minutes. And they gave it. So I think what's important here, not only to empower employers, but to empower Muslims to know that you have a right in this country to practice your faith at work. And if you don't, I don't like it to approach it this way, you have a recourse. You can actually complain and actions will be taken. Um, the other thing I, I think it's important to say is that, and, and I know this is not something people like to hear, they get uncomfortable, but women in Islam cannot fast when they're menstruating. And so we should never, ever say to a Muslim who's not fasting, why aren't you fasting? Everybody else is. Because I don't think the woman in the office wants to say, well, excuse me, but I'm menstruating. Um, or, the, or, or the guy might not want to say to the woman, well, I'm actually ill. And when you're ill, you don't have to fast. Or I have diabetes. So these are very insensitive questions to ask. So definitely avoid asking those kind of questions. Um, I think it's great to have a company iftar or for a Muslim to invite their colleagues to come to an iftar. Um, prior to COVID, I started doing iftars on the south side of town years and years ago, inviting people to come. And there were, there were people that would fast with us and have an experience so they would know what it was like. And they would share these experiences. And many non-Muslims, as a result of that, actually said to me, you know, I'm going to start fasting because it was such a wonderful experience. So let's educate because knowledge is power. Let's educate people about what it is. Um, and, and let's educate Muslims that 
bona fide religious beliefs are absolutely allowed in this country. They are encouraged and they are supported by the law. They are supported by Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 um, that we should have religious accommodations by our employers. Um, also, what I'd like to say is that I encourage Muslims to get a letter from your masjid or to write a letter stating that Aid is expected to be on this day and I would like to have off these days. Um, but do it now. Don't wait till two days before Ramadan. Um, very, very important. So get a letter to your employer. I'm going to be fasting and I would like to request the following accommodations. Um, and when you asked, I think you had said the question about what is the role of a non-Muslim colleague, it's basically the same as an employer. Offer these concessions to people that are fasting. And I, I know when I lived in South Africa for six years, um, they would do television, uh, PBS commercials. Uh, remember your Muslim brothers and sisters in humanity are fasting, have mercy on them, go easy on them. Uh, and, and so I think that that question sort of um, can be answered with the very same edicts um, as employer. If you're my colleague, you know, have mercy on me and understand where I am and ask me questions and know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned iftar a couple of times for our viewers and listeners. Just tell them what iftar is. That way uh, they don't confuse it with suhoor. <laughs> what thank is you. iftar? What is suhoor? <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, iftar is when we break the fast at sunset. Um, and I'll, I'll throw out a little advert here. If you are a starving student, um, find out what the month of Ramadan is. And for 29 or 30 nights every year, you can get a free meal. When the sun sets, just go to the masjid and say, I'd like to experience what you folks are doing. Um, and they'll feed you. I will warn you if you're not used to spicy foods and you go to a masjid predominantly attended by subcontinent folks, you may have uh, not only an external cleansing, but an internal cleansing. So, <laughs> um, uh, so I always like to say, go to the masjid and experience the breaking of the fast called iftar. It, it's a joyous occasion. I think this year, some of the masajid will be opening it to the public. They will be doing social distancing. Um, make it a point to try to find a way to have one of these experiences. It's a very powerful, it's, a, it's like a celebration every night. Um, and then I would remind my Muslims that when you go to break your fast, remember that you are breaking the physical fast, but you're maintaining the spiritual fast. So what happens is that our desires get all activated when we smell the food and we almost become like animals and people are pushing people out of the way and rushing to the iftar table like animals running to the trough. You know? <laughs> Remember that to remain the, to retain the spirit of Ramadan to extol Allah. Thank you Allah for this iftar. We have a prayer that we say, Allahumma alayka sumta wa ala raskika aftartu day I've fasted Allah, accept my fasting. Um, but, but come to that iftar in a prayerful spirit, in a, in a spirit of gratitude, extolling Allah, that you have successively fasted another day and enter into that spiritual dimension so that you, you go from that meal into the masjid to pray. And then you listen to a 30th of the Holy Quran recited in the 
speech of God in Arabic and let your heart be penetrated by that. If you eat too much food and you don't remember it's the month of abstinence, you'll be standing there falling asleep like a big lunch, a big lunch and then trying to work. <laughs> so I, I want to say that lovingly to my Muslims. Remember, it's still the month of abstinence, even when you go to iftar. And, and our beloved prophet used to break his fast with bread and dates and water sometimes. They did not have five course meals. And what's interesting is that in the month of Ramadan, sometimes Muslims grocery bills go up exponentially. Now, if you're feeding another person, that's great because you receive the same reward as they do. Uh -huh. But if you're having all of these delicacies, perhaps you might be missing out on the spirit of Islam. You're not abstaining, you're indulging. <laughs> So yeah. I always like, I wanted to throw that in to want to give something to the business world, the Muslims and the non-Muslims. Um, and I want to say that I hope I've answered your questions well. And if yes. I haven't, please forgive me. Yes, yes, you, uh, you have. And one thing that I can add here is not only um, the fast, after breaking the fast, after the iftar, um, a lot of Muslims, a large num number, majority, head out to mosque or even stay home to pray. So we're talking about not only fasting, but there's a lot of um, or long hours of prayers and worship. And a lot of them do not go to bed early. So they have work next day. And they may feel tired, not because uh, so much of the fast is because the night before they were standing up and bowing down and uh, praying. So employers have to take that into consideration, especially when they have workers outdoors in the, the heat, the sun, and they're doing construction work and doing heavy duty work. And um, they're not realizing that can be uh, detrimental to not only their uh, their health but their well-being as well and there are a lot of Muslims that, are, that, that do endure that so uh, we have to be mindful of this as well just like you said you said it beautifully I mean just ask uh, be accommodating be mindful and it's uh, one month that is sacred to a lot of people and if you're not practicing, probably you would not understand how sacred it is. And, and you said it at the beginning, when it leaves, you had tears in your eyes. It's a friend leaving you. And that's how deep um, this month is. That's how important this month is. Now, we do see something that I can mention um, for my friends, uh, people that... Uh, or Muslims that uh, exercise aggression during the month of Ramadan and they blame it on the fasting. No, oh, don't talk to me, I'm fasting. What would you, just, just quickly, I know David has, may have questions. What would you tell them? Um, well, that's an outstanding question. And remember that Ramadan is about learning to control ourselves. Um, the Prophet said that if someone wants to argue with you while you're fasting, that you should say calmly, I'm fasting, I'm fasting, I'm fasting. So if you think about it, I'm fasting with my tongue not to gossip. I'm fasting with my ears not to listen to gossip because what is a sin to say is a sin to hear in Islam. I'm fasting with my extremities so that when these kind of things happen, I would say to people, 
have consciousness, have, have mindfulness, be aware of what you're doing. And that means that fasting is not just doing without food. It is an inner dimensional awareness of Allah. So it says that we fast to attain taqwa. And the word taqwa means God consciousness. So that's what I'm actually trying to do. And this goes back to what I said in the beginning. It's spirit and form. I've got to know what to do, the right conditions, and then I've got to do it with the right spirit. And so if it's with the right spirit, I'm going to say to someone, I, I feel that this conversation that you want to have might take away from my fasting or might not help me in surrendering to Allah. And I think these are great pieces of script that we should carry in our heart that when someone wants to engage and you will be tempted, you know, one of the sad things and yet I'm glad that people are there. A lot of people will go and they'll get lost in the talks of the breaking of the fast and they'll start talking about the world and the stock market and all of the money they're making and they will leave the machine and go stand outside and fellowship and smoke cigarettes and whatever they do. Um, and again, I don't mean this. It sounds judgmental and that's not my intention. But my encouragement, and I come from love or hub as we call it in Arabic, is to encourage those people to remember that they are still abstaining, not from food at night, but they are abstaining from acts that don't please their Lord. They are trying to attain a consciousness of God. If I am truly conscious of God, will I be standing outside of the masjid cursing someone or gossiping about someone? So I hope that answered your question and I hope I didn't go on a tangent. <laughs> I, I do have a tendency to get passionate and did I just keep going? So, you know, you never give a preacher a microphone, right? <laughs> We appreciate your uh, honesty. We appreciate your knowledge. We're ex we, we do really appreciate your experience. Um, and um, we do have about another seven minutes or so. I'm, I'm going to let David um, take over right now before we give our final statements and give it back to Imam Said. I think one of the things that uh, resonates with me is in most places outside the United States, uh, people believe that they cannot separate their spiritual experiences from their other human experiences, that being my authentic spiritual self is as important as me being a good father or a good brother or a good worker. But here in the United States, unfortunately, uh, whether you refer to it as this separation of church and state, the separation of uh, spiritual and uh, secular uh, ideology, people tend to think that you can practice one uniquely devoid of the other at work. And then when you go to the mosque or you go to the temple or wherever it is you worship, then you can be spiritual. And what I hear being said is, if we are genuinely going to appreciate one another, we need to appreciate that person in everything that they are, in their spiritual identity, their cultural identity, their personality. And 
we need to have a sensitivity that all of those things are contributing to make you the best version of you that you can be. And maybe when that happens, we will see real transformation happen in the workplace. When we see colleagues embrace each other and say, I'm not on the same journey that you are, but the journey that you're on is intended to lead you to be the best that you can be. And I, I want to encourage you to do that. I may not practice the same things. I may not even understand the same things. And I will commit to you what I don't understand. I will inquire in a sacred sort of a way, a respectful sort of a way. Can you explain to me how, for example, I can be supportive of you because your office is next to mine during the month of Ramadan? How can, how can I kind of deflect those things in the workplace that become a barrier to you being the best version of you that you can be without sacrificing any quality of work, without sacrificing anything in the area of performance. But shouldn't we eventually arrive at the place where we have joy because everyone is wanting to be the best that they can be? Mm -hmm. All right, so there are like three questions in there. I'm going to try to go back. Um, the first one, when you mentioned going to the masjid and perhaps not being practicing, and you talked about the separation of church and state, and that um, I personally believe that every human being is a spiritual being on an earthly journey. And this marathon in the earth is simply for us to prepare for the afterlife, for the hereafter. And so with that, uh, the culture of my organization, which is called the Islamic Society Leading American Muslims with the acronym Islam Inc. Um, our culture is non-castigating, non-critical, non-indicting, but inviting. Um, and so how can I do that? I have to have that spirit. Nowhere in the Quran does God call us to judge people. He tells us to enjoin good for evil. He tells us to be just, even if it be against ourself, but he doesn't tell us anywhere to judge other people. And so that is God's department. And I think one of the way that I can help every human being in the world is to create a sanctuary of safety around me, that I'm a safe person. And when you're with me, I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to support you in whatever you're trying to do in that spiritual journey. Um, And so, so number one, I think we have to create a sanctuary of safety for all people. Uh, my motto when I was doing uh, anti-apartheid work was I want to create a world that works for everybody. And I think that is a real spirit of Ramadan, that we create a spiritual world that works for everybody. The one that was drinking every single day until Ramadan, the one who's going to smoke cigarettes in Ramadan. Mm -hmm. um, yet I will encourage you toward a higher and lofty goal, the goal of God consciousness, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, but one of the things that I will speak to and to help those people who are on that journey is avoid religiosity. Now, I wore a jellabia today because it makes a statement on the camera. If somebody sees this, they associate it with Islam. Now, I am an American, seven generations. Um, 
So typically I will not wear this kind of clothing because to me it can be religiosity. It can be a cloak that makes me look like something that maybe I'm not because of mere association. So I say avoid religiosity and embrace spirituality. Um, this, you know, like a lot of people say, Imam Sykes, why don't you wear a, a kufi on your head? Well, it's not a requirement. Is it going to make me more spiritual or perhaps more religious? And, and I, so I do think this is a huge piece that I never want to encourage people to move toward religiosity. I want to encourage people to move toward organic, authentic, spiritual practices that they can own and practice well within their own heart. I, I encourage all of my students to set spiritual goals. We started that in the month of Rajab. We wrote them down. We actually did measurable results. And what will I have to do to attain that? Um, but all of that's done in the vein of spirituality, not religiosity. Um, so I'm, I'm not a lover of people that show up in the public and make all of these displays, but in their private lives, they're beating their wives or abusing their children. Um, religiosity just never did cut it for me, um, but spirituality is everything to me. Uh, and I, I recognize that even the person who is not conscious of God is a spiritual being. They might not know it yet. So if I love them and I open the, the windows of safety, the sanctuary of, of, of empathic listening, I can create the space for them to find that. Um, but I, I am not moved by religiosity. I hope that answered your question, David. I know it was three parts and I tried to touch on all of them. So let me know if I didn't and I'll try to clarify. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, one minute, I am going to ask the last question and and you can wrap it up uh, okay. with whatever statement you like to end with the cultural aspects of ramadan and people's lives and cultures now again we're talking about the mm -hmm. cultural aspect of ramadan just briefly and we'll wrap it up thank you well, I think, for example, let's look at some cultural aspects. Um, I know that my beloved Egyptian friends have a soap opera that they often watch every night. And not only now, I think several other countries, highly popular by Muslims, have sort of followed suit with that. And there's a Bollywood version of a soap opera. Um, and, and these are cultural things. So people will do them. I'm not condemning them. What I'm saying, though, is that if you want to move on the spiritual path of Islam, I would encourage you to take a couple of nights off from that and go and have a different a spiritual experience. Listen to the kalam of Allah. Make your intention that I'm going for the sake of Allah to have a, perhaps a more spiritual instead of so blend the two. I think and I actually think this sort of goes back to what David was saying. We, we say religion is state. I know it means different in the context, but I think we we need to have a healthy uh, mixture of culture and religion, um, because this really does, it, it brings joy to the hearts of people. It helps them identify with their fellow, whatever nation that they uh, to. Uh, belong to. Yes. Um, so that, that I think is vitally important. I don't think we should beat people up for that. We, we encourage them to some higher and more noble things, but you know, they're foods. Every single community has 
ethnic foods specific to Ramadan, it seems. Mm -hmm. And um, enjoy these in moderation. You know, don't deny yourself these things. As I gave the example earlier, how the prophet, it's an axiom that we are allowed to have. As a matter of fact, there's a science called fiqal akaliyat, and it is the fiqh of minorities. My teacher, Sheikh Taha Jabrawani, this was his specialty at Al-Azhar, focusing on the fiqh of minorities. So enjoy your customs, but first and foremost, do it with the spirit of worshiping your Lord. Uh, because these are beautiful customs. I have been blessed over the 35 years to experience more foods than I can even remember. Um, and every year I see writings in the newspaper about Ramadan menus. <laughs> and, and those some people, some imams will be angry with me and they'll say, Astaghfirullah, you're encouraging people to follow their nafs. No, I'm encouraging people to be themselves and to do both. It's not haram. It's actually an axiom that is encouraged by our messenger, mashallah. So what I'd like to close by saying is that I pray that Allah will allow us to live to Monday evening when that moon arrives, inshallah, and that Allah will allow us to receive the greatest benefits of this great month. And what I would also like to invite everyone on this podcast is that every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, on um, livewiththeimamsykes.com. You don't need a code or anything. You simply go at livewiththeimamsykes.com. And my last name is S-Y-K-E-S. Uh, so it's I-M-A-M-S-Y-K-E-S, livewiththeimamsykes.com, sorry. Um, and you can enter. I will be doing uh, a class on the inner dimensions of Ramadan and every single night, if if you attend that class, you will learn that every single night in the month of Ramadan, I do a small sturdy circle called a halakha. I do it for, try to do it for about 10 to 15 minutes. That, that's very sort of motivational and a reminder of the spiritual dimension of Ramadan. Um, and that would give you when we're doing it because uh, each day Ramadan uh, shortens or lengthens according to what lunar cycle we're in by about a half a minute. So we adjust that time. So I can't give you one set time. Um, but I would invite you to do that. And perhaps that would encourage you. You can have your cultural aspect and you'll always have a little spiritual aspect as well. Um, so I want to thank you both and to say what a pleasure it is to see you again, Mona, and to meet you, David. Um, it was amazing. It sounded like when I closed my eyes for a moment and listened to you, it sounded like you were listening so attentively to what I was saying and paraphrasing it so beautifully. Um, MashaAllah, uh, by the will of Allah, uh, today happened, and I'm very grateful to be a part of it. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you so much. We appreciate your presence and the knowledge that you had shared with us today. David, thank you again for being with us. And until next time, we'll say shalom, salamu alaikum. Peace be, be with you uh, anywhere you are in the world. Stay connected and stay safe. Bye-bye for now.